Next week, we're going to have water baptism. We've had a lot of people get saved recently in church and in small groups. If you recently recommitted your life to Christ or you've gotten saved for the first time, we want you to be water baptized next week. And we can send you a link. It's got a message I preached on water baptism for you to have a better understanding of that. And then also the supplies needed, everything. We're going to help you with that. But we're going to do that next Sunday. And so we want you to be baptized in water. Small group leaders, will you try to get some of your small group attendees, especially those that have recently got saved? It's a huge step. Listen, Jesus was baptized in water. He commanded us to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an example. It's a, it is a, a great symbolic of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ coming up and, and newness in Christ Jesus. There's something that happens when you get baptized in water. And uh, if you've never been baptized, next Sunday's your Sunday. And so I, I want you to sign up. We'll, they'll, they'll, be, they'll, they'll have the, um, the whole deal for you. We can send you the email with all the link and information. Just let us know. Let your small group leader know, and we're going to do that. So I praise God the need for water baptism. Amen? The fact that we got people getting saved. Amen? Praise the name of the Lord. Well, for those of you that were there last night, didn't we have a great time last night? Passover Seder dinner. It was amazing. It was so chock full of symbolism for Christ. And just just the whole Passover points to Jesus. And it was so beautifully done. Uh, our guest today, uh, Brother Jeff Morgan, lives in Israel, has since 1997, mostly, uh, in the Tel Aviv area, a little north on the north side. Beautiful family, Yael. And Dylan is with him, his son, and who we just have grown to love the both of them so much. And um, his wife, Yael, and we haven't had a chance to meet her in person at least. And I believe it's Daniel and Liam. Is that right? Yeah, three beautiful boys. And they, they share the gospel in Israel. They are missionaries literally in Israel. He is Jewish on both sides of his family. And uh, he's got a credible testimony, as you heard last night. And uh, we've just grown to love him so much. We, I don't know, two nights in a row. I'm so tired. We've been up past midnight every night. We've been having a great time talking, crying. The presence of the Lord has been with us. And uh, he is a treasure, a precious, precious, precious man of God. And uh, I want you to join me. Let's welcome Jeff Morgan to this pulpit now. Shalom, mishpacha sheli hayekara. Hello, my, my beautiful new family. I am so blessed to be here. Wow. When I got saved, I wept for a year. And there was a time after that where that, wept, that weeping waned. And I got serious and I went to work. But I just, <laughs> come on, y'all. I just came out here from Israel, and all of that spirit just came right back into me. And I have not stopped crying since I got here. You are a beautiful community of believers, and I am jealous as a believer for the way that you worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, so blessed to be able to be with you and your family, Pastor Dallas and Holly, 
And last night we were at King's Point with Josh and Amy and your, your beautiful children, Haley, Caitlin. I haven't met Aaron yet, but what a blessed, what a blessed family. Thank you for, your, uh, for hosting us. It's been, it's been really been wonderful. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of an unconventional teaching today because it's going to contain part of my, my testimony. Some of you heard it last night. There'll be some points that you haven't heard. I'm going to add a little bit of flavor, a little more flavor. Not that there wasn't enough yesterday. And then I'm going to teach a little bit on uh, what I like to call giving God your yes. And it, it ties into what Pastor Dallas has, has been teaching lately about how we were all born to make a difference. My name is Jeff Morgan. I am a Jewish believer in Jesus, and I know now that I'm not the only one here tonight or today. We have other Jewish believers here today too, right? I, I, I forgot your names. Where are you? There they are. God bless you guys, and I know that I'm not alone. Jesus is our Jewish Messiah. He's the Messiah and Savior of the world. And I am a full-time missionary with Jews for Jesus in Tel Aviv, Israel. Actually, we, we go all over Israel, but we're, we're, we're primarily centered in, in Tel Aviv. And I am a testimony, and you are a testimony, that God is moving on the Jewish people. Yes, uh, like you said, I have a wife and, and three boys. Uh, we all, at least I, my wife, and our older son, Dylan, had experiences that were related to Jesus that were so powerful we came to faith all at the same time, only five years ago. And yes, today I want to talk about giving God your yes so that you can live a life that is filled, fulfilled, and with purpose. Uh, there was a certain time early in my life when I started to feel something really interesting brewing within me. And no, it wasn't the desire for girls or parties or earning lots of money, although those desires were there. This was something different, and it was, it was a certain knowing that I was supposed to do something different. I was supposed to make a difference in this world, and I knew it. I was born into a typical American Jewish home. We were not religious, but we did celebrate the, the, the holiday feasts, the Jewish feasts, Passover, Pesach, Sukkot, Hanukkah. I had my bar mitzvah at age 13. The bar mitzvah is a, it's a, it's a rite of passage from a Jewish boy to a Jewish man where in traditional Judaism, they become obligated to the law of Moses at this time. My son Dylan had his bar mitzvah a year and a half ago, and some people ask us, well, why, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, why did he have his bar mitzvah? Because we're still Jewish. We still have our culture and our heritage. We still have an, a connection with our people there. And I was bar mitzvahed, and I wanted my son to experience that. And as well, our families, my wife and my families on both sides, none of them are saved. We are first-generation believers in Jesus as Jewish people. And so having his bar mitzvah was a way to bring our families together in a wonderful way for us to worship God. He had his, uh, his Torah portion that he read, and when he gave his parashah, or his interpretation of that Bible passage, he included how we worship God in that. So it was a testimony to our faith in Jesus at that moment. So, um, yeah, so we, we celebrated all the, the Jewish feasts. I went to Hebrew school and Jewish summer camp, synagogue, and I, I, was, I was bullied in school. Okay, so I was the guy that was, I, I wanted to express myself. I was a dancer, a singer, a gymnast, and it didn't go over very well with, the, with my male peers. I was made fun of. I was bullied. And for another reason was that I was, I was Jewish. 
simply because I was Jewish. And as a child, how could I understand why someone would not like me because I was Jewish? I didn't even know what being Jewish meant. All I knew was that people didn't like it, and I was that guy. But because I love these things, I was bullied, and I wasn't winning any popularity contests. So in the years that were most influential to me regarding my self-esteem and my self-image, um, I was hated on. And adding to that was a certain anxiety that filled my home growing up. My mother was, was so loving, but also very fearful. She, she held us with an iron grip and didn't allow us to really express ourselves. So there was a lot of anxiety in the house, and, and, but we had, a, we had a comfortable upbringing. My parents didn't understand how to communicate very well, very loving, but, um, you know, very controlling. And not out of hatred, not out of spite, just out of fear, because we didn't have God in the home. We didn't have that, that, that hope and that security that we have and purpose that we have in, our, in, in God. So I set off, left the house, went to college, left college early, and I wanted to become a superstar because I wanted to prove to everyone that I was a success. It wasn't long after that that I failed miserably in Los Angeles. But what was waiting for me there? I know a wide open door into new age spirituality where I could have all the spirituality that I wanted. Control over my life. Control over my mind. But without any kind of moral responsibility or accountability. I could make up my own religion and do whatever I want. It felt amazing. I felt empowered. Wow, I'm a single guy. I'm free from my parents' authority. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to make something of myself in this world because I know that I have a purpose here. And I was born to make a difference. But then, over the years of this new age spirituality and following spiritual teachers and gurus, I started to feel tormented. I started to feel fearful suicidal thoughts started to pop into my head. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm thinking positive. I'm meditating an hour and a half a day, burning incense in my room, saying prayers and mantra meditations that I don't even understand, but they're supposed to elevate me to a higher level. I didn't know that I was dealing with dark spirits. I didn't know that I was dealing because, because the devil loves to masquerade as so many different things. And what he wanted me to know was, yes, Jeff, you're on the right path. Come with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop carrots in front of you every once in a while just to make you feel that you're on the right path. And then a dry bones period. Dryness. No success. No fulfillment. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be attracting all this greatness into my life through the practices and the religion that I'm creating for myself. I started to cut myself. I started to burn myself. I was feeling tormented and and. and I was being impressed upon by this spirit that was telling me to do things, and I thought, if I don't do these things, something bad is going to happen to me, so I better do them so I can be a good boy. Through the grace of God, I got married in Israel. I met my wife in Israel. We had our first two boys, and that slowed me down from all of this deep spiritual occult practice. It slowed me down, and that was God's grace. I was trying to get my family to meditate with me and, you know, come on, guys, let's, let's do this mantra meditation. Let's cross our legs and point our fingers in a certain position and, and do these things that I was told that was supposed to lift me up and make me into a great person, enlightened. They weren't having it. Thank God. 
I was pretending to be happy. I put a smile on my face. But none of my dreams were fulfilled. None of my plans came to fruition. I was full of debt, bringing my family into depression with me. Looking in from the outside, people would ask me, why wouldn't you be happy? Look at this beautiful family that you have. Forget about all that stuff in the past and just focus on what you have. But I couldn't. I couldn't be happy because 20 years of discipline, my own power, self-attention, self-focus, self-righteousness led to destruction. I couldn't be happy. But I couldn't stop feeling that I was born to make a difference. And that's why I became unbelievably depressed. I would always ramp myself up and say, wait till the world gets a load of me. Wait till they get to see what I'm going to do in the world. And nothing ever happened. I fell down, got up. Fell down, got up. Fell down, got up. You know what they say. Give it one more shot. Don't give up on your dreams. But one day, <clears throat> I fell down. And I couldn't get up again. I was laying on the floor in my wife's arms, and I was looking up at her, and I said, Honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I brought you all into this mess, that we have debt, that I'm not happy, that I have nothing to pass down to you and my kids. I have nothing to give you. I wanted to die. And I really wanted, I wanted out of this world. I was spiteful, angry. And hateful. So I moved my, my family to California during this time. So we were in California as one last attempt for happiness and it failed. And so that's when I was on the floor weeping and crying to my wife. And I got up numb and she said, Jeff, don't do anything to yourself. And I said, I won't. I'm not that selfish. I was a narcissist, selfish, egomaniac. And so I... Uh, I got up, and I was numb for a few days, wandering around, going to the gym, picking up the weights, throwing them down, cursing left and right, lusting in my mind. I, just was, I was just sitting and hateful and angry. And I saw two guys across the gym, and I said, I want to meet those guys so they have something that I, I don't. And one of them came up to me and asked me what I ate, and this led into a, 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 a conversation about health and fitness. And I said, what do you do? And he says, I'm a pastor. And he said, I said, what's your name? And he said, Chris Cross. And I said, I'm Jeff the Jew. <laughs> Go figure, right? Chris Cross comes up to me in the gym. And at that moment, something lit up in me. And I said, are you serious? Really? Wow. Where did that come from? I wanted to die. And here I look at a pastor and I said, wow, can you tell me why people have to go to church? Why can't I just have all my spirituality in my bedroom in a, mon in a mantra meditation? Why do I have to go to church? Why do people need community? And he'd give me short answers and then just be quiet. And I'd go off and contemplate, lift some weights, throw them back down, go ask him another question. And I kept coming back to him over and over again. And then I saw another guy at the other side of the gym, the weirdest guy in the whole gym. Dark black skin, bright white teeth, the fittest, rippedest guy in the gym. Pull-ups upside down, shaking and rattling all over the floor, punching in everything he was doing, kicking with these 45-pound weights over his head. And I said, I want to meet that guy. Well, everybody's walking around him. I want to meet him. I went up to meet him. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, can I pray for you? And I said, hey, 
What do I have to lose? I want to die. Why not? You have life. I have death. Give me some of what you got. Put his arm on my shoulder, prayed for me. At the end of the prayer, he said, in Jesus' name. And as a Jewish man, I said, what am I going to do with this? I said, well, I don't care. Amen. Next day, I came back, looked for him for prayer. Every day I came back to him, I asked him for prayer. Pray for me, please. And every day he said, in Jesus' name, I said, amen. I started to feel like I was coming back to life through no effort of my own. At the same time, my wife went out of the house and met someone that told her how her son was healed from terminal cancer from Jesus. So she started running home and Googling Jesus and miracles. My son, Dylan, goes out, meets a friend named Joe. Joe invites him to church group. My wife says, honey, go have a great time, but we're Jewish and we don't believe in Jesus. Go ahead. How's that for a setup? But this is what we, well, this is what we, we learned. And, and to all those of you that were there last night, I told them, I, we had no context for Jesus in our lives. No context, no history. We grew up in the synagogue. Jews don't believe in Jesus. That's what we heard. Am I right? So he goes off, comes back high as a kite. Dad, it was so amazing. We learned about Moses and Abraham and Jesus. And my wife was like, oh, really? And I said, you know what? That's great. Why not? Jesus was acting on me, my wife, and our older son at the same time separately. But I still carried this torment around with me. And it was very difficult because I didn't know what to do with all this. I, I said, honey, are we supposed to get on our knees and say a prayer? I don't, I don't have any context. Am I supposed to go to the church and they're supposed to lead me through something? What are we supposed to do here with all of this? And one day I said, honey, I, 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 I just heard that Jesus is the one that we need to listen to. He was speaking to Moses and, and Elijah on the, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I said, this is oddly familiar. Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. I said, what's Jesus doing on, or what's, what are, what's Moses and Elijah doing on this side of the book? And it was strange for me, but it was unusually comfortable because it was something that related to me as a Jew. And I went home and I said, honey, God came out of the cloud, the voice came out of the cloud and said, Jesus is the one that we need to listen to. He's the one. This is my son, my beloved son, who I love. Listen to him. And my heart blew wide open, and I ran home, and I said, Honey, I know for sure that he's the one. He's the one that we need to listen to. Not Buddha. Not spiritual gurus. Not that Indian meditation guy that I was following. None of that stuff. Jesus is the one. But I don't know what to do. I'm tormented. I have this spirit that's, that's been following me all over the place, wrecking me. And she said, I had a dream last night. And I wasn't going to say anything, but you brought up being tormented. I was running through a schoolyard with a group of kids, and one kid branched off to the right, went into a room by, him, uh, by himself, and I wanted to see where that kid was going. I went, opened the door, and I saw this kid trembling in fear with a demon tormenting him over him. And I woke up, and I wasn't going to say anything because, hey, just a weird dream. Let it pass. But you just told me you were tormented, and the Spirit of God came through her because she is not an assertive, authoritative person. She points at me, and she said, that boy was you, and you were being tormented. And all those people that you followed were not who they said they were. And I knew at that moment that that was true. I knew it was true. Look back at that Bible first, listen to him, and all of my depression, anxiety, fear, suicidal thoughts, and, and, and hate, and, and anxiety fell off of me at one moment. Depression, all of it fell off. And my arms flew up in the air and I said, I'm free. I'm free. I am free. And both my wife 
praise the Lord. Both my wife and myself dropped to our knees by our bedside at that very moment on February 10th, 2018 at 11.58 p.m. and gave our lives to Jesus, both of us at the same time. Praise the Lord. Now, after coming to faith that evening, the next morning I was a brand new creation. And let me tell you something really interesting. I had not read the Bible yet. I hadn't even read the Old Testament yet. And if you talk to Jewish people, you'll find that most of them haven't read the Old Testament yet. I had no context, but I knew the truth, and the truth set me free. I was a new human being. I couldn't curse, lust. I had, I, my, my mind was altered in one moment. And my wife looked at me and she says, I don't know what happened to you, but stay like that. And her faith grew because of what he saw God to do, God do to me. Nothing changed in my life outwardly. I was still in debt. I still had a job that I hated. We were still living in a small two-bedroom apartment with our family of four and two dogs. But I had purpose. That purpose that I've been looking for my whole life. I had purpose. Doesn't matter what happens to me now. I wake up every morning, bam, I got purpose. And boy, does it feel good to be at home. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 23. We're going to read uh, verses 23 through 24. And he called him, two of the centurions, and said, Get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea. Caesarea, you would say. With 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Three years ago, my wife and I were seeking God's will in San Francisco after we came to faith. We were faced with two choices. One, to remain in the U.S., near the town that I grew up, near my best friends from high school and college, and to serve with Jews for Jesus there. The undesirable choice was to go back to Israel and face all the scary uncertainties involving returning back as Jewish believers. While praying, we simultaneously became convinced that it was God's will to return to Israel. Exciting? Of course. Scary? Even more so. I found myself praying a prayer that was nothing short of liberating. Dear God, we believe you are calling us to return to Israel. You have our yes. But there is a long list of obstacles blocking our way. But since your will is for us to return, those obstacles are not our problems. They're yours. We had logistical problems, major financial obstacles, and emotional obstacles. The logistical obstacles. We owned an apartment in Israel, and we had tenants happily living there on contract. Financial obstacles. We had a sizable credit card debt of $22,000. Didn't have the money to ship our household goods overseas and to buy tickets to fly to Israel. The total cost of that move was $14,000. On a salary of $3,000 a month with a family of four and two dogs, I had no idea how we were going to come up with $36,000 to clear our way to go to Israel. According to my own calculations, this would take three years of saving $1,000 a month. 
And I said, you want us to go? You gave us the what? But the when's three years from now? Oh, the pain of that waiting. It was hard. We had emotional obstacles, attachments to friends, my closest best friends that I reunited with. Miraculously, over the course of about six months, God solved each and every one of those problems. And every time I was tempted to worry, I reminded myself, if God wanted us back in Israel, these obstacles were not mine, they were his. God was calling us to Israel to do something special, to make a difference. We had no idea how this would happen, but we gave him our yes. And the rest was up to him. This is a powerful lesson in faith, a painful and a stressful one, but God didn't need for us to figure it all out. You see, God didn't save us in order to leave us fending for ourselves and building our own faith on our own power. He continuously gives us challenges and experiences that show us our dependency on him and his power in our weakness. I thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And now I realize when people ask me how I am at the supermarket or at that whatever, how are you, Jeff? And I say, better than I deserve. I'm not a good person. And the only way I can be good is God's spirit residing in me, cleaning me out, and turning me into the man that he wants me to be. He knows exactly how to build our faith. He just needs our obedience. Do you struggle with control? Are you the kind of person that needs to figure everything out, micromanage your life, and do it according to your ways? I certainly was that, and to be honest, I struggle with that still at times. I'm tempted to take back control. Jesus called Paul to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. Acts 23, 11, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so must you testify also in Rome. Israel's religious leaders and 40 men who were intent on murdering Paul stood in his way. This may have seemed like a major obstacle, but for Paul, this may have seemed like a major, major obstacle for Paul, but not for God. God planted a spy in the council. Acts 23, 16, now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then God provided Paul with enough military protection to overthrow a small city. Acts 23, 23 through 24, then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. As I began serving with Jews for Jesus in Israel, I realized that God was calling me to street evangelism. This was the one thing I did not want to do. Honestly, I was scared. I want to be liked. I want to be admired. I want to be appreciated and approved of. I don't want to be the guy that people hate and argue with and spit at the floor on my feet. But what I want more is to follow God's will for my life and to be the man that he wants me to be. I love Jesus so much because of what he did for me and what he did for all of us. 
He deserves my service and my loyalty. He purchased my life with his so that I could be forgiven, made clean, and live forever in his presence. When we understand the weight in that, it becomes much easier to live a life in service to him. Since beginning street evangelism and living the purpose-filled life that God has chosen for me that I wouldn't have chosen, I began documenting my street evangelism and also filming testimonies of Jewish believers in Jesus. And what happened? A YouTube channel was birthed called So Be It. Jesus is the Messiah. So be it. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So be it. In other words, amen. It started slow for, a, for, for the first few months, this channel, this documentation of our street evangelism in Israel. We had about 2,500 subscribers after about six months. We said, okay, it's a niche community. Jewish people preaching the gospel to other Jewish people. Not many people are going to want to follow this. Maybe people won't like it, but we're doing a service to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Lord puts on my partner's heart that I got to go to Jerusalem and share the gospel with religious Orthodox Jews. And I said, no. I said, no, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want rocks flying at my head. I don't want to be spit on. I want to be liked, loved, and appreciated. But then once again, my life is not for me. It's for you. You gave me purpose. You gave me new life. You have my yes. So, <laughs> so I went into Jerusalem, fearful, trembling, standing right outside the Yaffa Gate at the old city of Jerusalem. And I saw, and I, and I looked at my partner, and I said, do they have to be wearing black and white? And he said, yes. And I said, oi. Okay, let's do it. One by one, they start coming out of the yeshiva, which is that, that school where they teach the oral law and the Talmud to Orthodox Jews. And I would say, excuse me, sir, can I interview you for YouTube? I'm a Jewish man that believes in Jesus. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? If so, tell me. Let's have a conversation. Some people walked by and they said, that's not a conversation necessary to have. Some people walked by and ignored me. Some people said, nope, sorry, I can't. Some people said, yes, you're wrong. But there were people that stopped and talked to me, and I was able to share my testimony with them and share about the love of Jesus, that our Jewish Messiah, that he has for them. We put up that video. And within three months, we went from 2,500 followers to 100,000 followers within three months. I gave God my yes. I gave God my obedience. And he blessed our work. Our videos have been viewed over six million times in the last three months. And they are reaching and touching lives. So praise the Lord for giving me purpose. Give God your yes. Honestly, I would love to have a quiet life, be financially secure, live with my family near my best friends, and just chill out. But these are not God's plans for me. And after decades of torment and weakness, I realized that God is my strength and that everything that is good within me comes from him. I can imagine a quiet life, but it doesn't mean it's the right life. And it doesn't even mean that I would be happy. 
and fulfilled. It's, it's, it's scary sharing the gospel on the streets with Jewish people, a people who are traditionally against Jesus. And don't be angry with them. Love them. Pray for them. We've been through a very difficult history as a Jewish nation, as a Jewish people, persecuted and tortured and killed, separated from our families in the name of Jesus. But we know those aren't real Christians. The real Christians were the ones saving my wife's grandmother from the Holocaust. She was one of the hidden children. And, uh, and that, that woman that took her in told my wife's grandmother, you pray to Jesus every day and your father will come home from the, from the, from the concentration camp. They threw him into a pit of dead bodies, still alive, hanging on for life, surrounded by dead bodies in this pit, holding on for life. He was saved out of that pit at the end of the war. And she prayed, his, her grandma prayed to Jesus every day, and her father came home. Now, my wife's grandmother is not a believer, but that's a window for us to be able to talk to her about our faith, and we've begun. Because she's in her mid-80s and not doing well. So we pray for her. Pray for her. Her name is Miriam. Miriam. What was Jesus' mother's name? Miriam. Miriam in Hebrew. When Moses... Uh, handed the people over to Joshua to enter the promised land. Moses, knowing God's character and faithfulness, said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Are you struggling with a yes? Are you struggling with a yes to God over a decision that scares you? Give him your yes. And let him handle the rest. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Let us pray. Abba Sheba Shemaim, Father in heaven, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In humility, I come before you knowing that I am weak and you are strong. Yet you provide your strength to those that follow you and surrender, you, surrender to you. You know what's best. I pray that your spirit blesses each person here today with the courage to give you that yes and to live the life you have planned for each and every one of us, knowing us before you formed us in the womb. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Pastor Dallas.